Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Our Three Cents. We three gents are all loved up, as we have come together to celebrate the unity of love and video games. And the love of video games, in honour of Valentine's Day. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by two men whom I love very much. My childhood friend, Chris Dow. Have a big glug of maple syrup. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Against all odds, married. (laughs) (laughs) We have taken a break from our usual countdown of our top 100 favourite video games of all time to focus on the romantic side of video games. We have each selected a game to talk about that either revolves around the ideas of love or relationships, or that features a resonant romantic storyline, or perhaps a video game that is intrinsically linked with a romantic memory. It, it, it can happen. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. Oh no, sorry. Chris, what are you <laughs> Chris, what are your thoughts on love and video games? Do you love video games r- romantically? I do, actually, yeah. I-, I could see myself marrying a t- copy of Tetris one day. <laughs> I mean, I think we could all see that, to be honest. <laughs> if things don't pan out in my uh, actual romantic life, uh, that's-, that's always a fallback. Imagine if that actually happened, you- right, and you had sex with Tetris in such a way that you both just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually found this topic uh, more difficult than I thought it would be to, to think about. And I think that's in part, like, you've got games that are explicitly about love. And that's sometimes games like a lot of visual novels or dating sims and stuff like that. But they're both genres that I have basically no experience in outside of one or two things I might have played little bits of. So it would have ended up being more of a case of me saying, this is a game I know exists, rather than one I'd actually sort of properly considered. Leisure Suit Larry. (laughs) Yeah, my brother suggested that when I said we were doing this episode. (laughs) Then you've got games like The Sims, that obviously surrounds like managing human relationships. But again, it's something that I have not played since the original on the PC. And that would have been, what, 20-odd years ago now? To the day. Oh, shit, yeah, it was. It was the 20th anniversary, wasn't it? 20th anniversary of The Sims, yeah. I could have gone very, very literally and thought about the game we've talked about a few times recently, just called Love, oh, which yes, would have been yeah. a pretty decent candidate. But we've already spent a reasonable amount of time discussing it for, it. you know, it's quite a slim game. Yeah, longer talking about it than it takes to complete it. Exactly. And then, finally, you've got one or two games which fit the bill really, really well that appear further up my list, but I don't really want to spoil them here. So I've, I've put them to one side. So instead, I've gone back in time to uh, Double Dragon, a game that I mentioned just a few episodes ago when we were talking about Guardian Heroes. And that's because a lot of those early sort of either games that were ported from the arcade or early home console games used that sort of damsel in distress trope as like a springboard for their, their narrative, where they'd essentially revolve around that idea of woman has been kidnapped, man will save woman. So you've got like Donkey Kong starts like that, Ghouls and Ghosts starts like that, Dragon's Lair starts like that. They've all got that same framework. And Double Dragon also plays to that kind of outmoded storytelling device as well. Rife in patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's obviously, as I mentioned previously, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up. I'm not going to go massively into the mechanics because, you know, it's, it's very, very straightforward. But it's a game that, even in its diminutive presentation on like an 8-bit console when I played it on the Master System, it's a game about violence. Obviously, like the polar opposite of what we usually think of in terms of love. And I remember in particular, like when I was four or five, when, it, when I was first playing it, I found the opening to Double Dragon distressing as a kid because it's got like a cold opening. Once you press start on the title screen, it shows a woman who we later find out her name is Marion 
she's the partner of the lead character that you play, your character Billy Lee, and she's approached by a gang of thugs who then just like full on soccer in the stomach, like a, a heavy, heavy punch. And then she's just hoisted away into the distance. I think you might have misjudged the uh, the tone of this episode here, mate. But... <laughs> well, we'll see where we go. We'll see where we go. But it's it's like it's a it's a proper winding. <laughs> so she she gets duffed up. <laughs> she gets she gets like a, you know a sucker punch right in the baby maker, and then she's just slung over a, a, some dude's shoulder and, and dragged off. And I mean, your motivation for the game then, whether you're playing solo or whether you're playing cooperatively, um, is to rescue Marion, take down thugs along the way. And deal rough justice to the bad dudes who were uh, thumped her tum like a timpani. What an image! So after after four or five levels of this, you reach the final stage. Now, if if you beat the game on your own, you're rewarded with a, a big old smooch. Once Marion gets cut down from a little hanging chain, so you know love prevails. You have saved the day. Marion is is grateful for her rescue. But more interestingly, if you play cooperatively, after beating the final boss, you're suddenly tasked with just hammering the shit out of your brother. With the victor then taking the spoils, the spoils here being a real-life human woman, and the loser being left presumably for dead in the evil gang's lair. So it's it's unconventional, but also when you look at it from a bit of a distance, I think it's uh, it's deeply, deeply romantic. Yeah. I mean, as as Marion, putting yourself in, in her shoes, who wouldn't want two brothers to fight to the literal death over the chance to give you a little smacker on the cheek? <laughs> that's, that's lovely, isn't it? And uh, we all know women love pugilism. And uh, women love a man who will reject the bros before hoes code of ethics, instead opting to uh, maim, cripple, or kill their bro for a kissy wissy from a hoe. I think, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think Double Dragon really has uh, has taught me everything about love, <laughs> and uh, I, I feel more um, more wholesome for having played it. Age, <laughs> age four. <laughs> a simple sentiment, but yet so moving. Oh God. <laughs> Oh. Jesus, Minty. Mm. How about you? What uh, what game has been the very definition of of love for you? Um, I don't know, Manhunt or. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, you have sort of the big blockbuster titles with their romantic undertones. Like uh, Final Fantasy X was the one that I thought I was going to talk about because obviously Titus, despite not being real. We, we, we discover, had the hots for a woman. Titus. Bear with me. Titus is a man. Yes. But he is also not real because he is a dream of a sleeping dead kingdom. I mean... But yeah, that was the first one that came to my head because um, that was the first time I ever saw anybody kiss in a video game. Let's let's push Final Fantasy X out of, out of the window because Super Paper Mario is the game. Ah... Because in the Paper Mario games, you have a companion or a group of companions. And there's always one that is like the one that speaks because Mario doesn't. He just sort of goes, <coughs> oh, yes. That's really good. Thanks, mate. But, uh, so he, he sort of gesticulates, puts his hand in the air, like nods his head, shakes his head. And then his, his, his verbose partner would say, what my esteemed compatriot is trying to say here is that we reject your hypothesis and we will do battle. Prepare to die. Sort of like Lassie. Yes, yes. Everybody's there like... Uh, 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 and, then, and then she's like, come with me to the well where somebody has fallen down. So in Super Paper Mario, your mouthpiece in this game is a butterfly made out of triangles. Right? <laughs> come back to me. Come back to me. But then we find out that... Um, Terry Lee... <laughs> 
It's also made of triangles. <laughs> oh, God, I'm having a breakdown. Your partner is a butterfly made of triangles who is also the former love interest of the antagonist. Oh, my. Who, on losing her, decided to just destroy the entire universe. And this game came out in 2007, so to my 19-year-old mind, I was like, whoa, that's a romantic intensity that I want to uh, strive to. For me, there was really only one game I was going to talk about. In fact, I think I may have actually floated the idea of doing this special episode just to give myself a platform to talk about this game. So it didn't make it into my top 100, but it is a game that has had a profound effect on me and has stayed with me ever since I played it. The game is called Florence, and it is essentially an interactive story that takes you through the ups and downs of a relationship from meeting, falling in love, to growing apart and separating. I played it on the iPhone. Uh, It's only a a short game, probably probably less than an hour, very brief, but it, it uses its time and its medium so perfectly that, to be honest, I almost can't bear it. (laughs) one of the things that we've talked about before is the power of video games as a medium and we've talked about games that have stories that couldn't be told as effectively in uh, another medium and the interactivity of video games is something that can connect you with the story in a way that you can't in a in a film or in a book or or in a song and never has the complexity of a relationship been retold in such depth and so deftly as it has in Florence. Tell me, I'm intrigued. The game basically takes the form of several interactive vignettes taking place over the different stages of of Florence's life as a young 20-something working adult. And each of these vignettes serve to replicate the feelings you get from these different experiences in in her life. Uh, So this includes seeing her life working at a fairly sort of generic accounting firm. And you have the very simple and boring task of just matching sets of numbers. It's, it, it's very, very easy. It goes in a loop. It doesn't seem to end. The colours of the scenario are quite drab. And you instantly get the, the feeling of this inane monotony that Florence is, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what she has on, in her day-to-day life, in her professional life. And all of this changes when she meets this, uh, this guy. And this is when the game becomes something truly profound. Whereas, like, the monotony of a boring work life is something that has been successfully illustrated in other games and certainly many other, you know, movies and TV shows and books. But trying to replicate the intricacies of falling in and out of love, this, I mean, I've never seen it realised in such a brilliant way. Writing this, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling because what I'm talking about is how the experience of playing the game gives you these sensations and it's not something I can do justice to when when talking about it and and to be honest I, I don't actually I really don't want to spoil the experience for people who haven't played the game so I, I thought I, I'll just give one example it's an, an early example in, in the game of just how uh, it tackles some of these issues so after you've met this chap you go out for coffee and you see a couple of speech bubbles appear above above your heads. Below your speech bubble appear several puzzle pieces, maybe maybe a dozen or so, and these make up the shape of your speech bubble. It's it's not hard, but you do need to consider a few things to make sure that the speech bubble is put together correctly. You maybe mistake a couple of pieces. You have to take one out, shuffle it around a little bit, but it generally comes together, you know, quite easily in the end. And as your date goes on, the, the the speech bubble puzzles continue, but each time you're dealing with 
less and less puzzle pieces as the conversation is flowing easier and easier and more naturally and the joy I got when I realized what the game was doing was was immense it's something so so simple and so clever that conveys an emotion and a sensation uh, and an experience that is so deep and complex I you know it was just brilliant Unfortunately, as with all things, there is an equal and opposite, and just as effectively as the game illustrates the ease of getting to know someone, it also uses the same mechanics to bring devastating reality to when communication starts to break down. And because you've experienced how easily it once came together, and how beautiful and joyful that felt, to see it fall apart before your eyes and to interact with that, it really is very, very affecting. I'm not sure where the, where the starting point was for this game, whether the developers straight out wanted to tackle how to define the nature of communication and love and the complexities of relationship, or, or whether it was perhaps born out of a, a personal experience. It was more of a cathartic conduit to, to process and try and define how it feels to go through the ups and downs of a relationship. But, um, well, needless to say, the, the developers touched on something real with this game, something that stirred my soul, brought back beautiful and, and, and horrible memories of relationships past and, and tapped into feelings that I didn't know could even be defined so accurately. I mean, absolute just genius video game making. Abs just incredible. Um, I mean, I really would, I would encourage everyone to seek it out. It's it's just been released on on the Switch in the last week, and it I mean it's not an expensive game. It's well worth every penny, and even though the game is short, you know, you'll be thinking about it for as many hours as you would probably put into a full open world RPG. <laughs> so it's yeah, well well worth your time and incredibly profound experience. One of the many things I like about video games is is how they're becoming more and more human over time. And, and not in terms of like the AI in a game is more realistic. That, that's kind of not, not the angle I'm talking about. But in terms of you feel more how games are developed and how games are written and how games are thought about in the process of actually playing them. Yeah. And, and I think we, we reach, we're reaching this point now where we've mentioned before, like people are choosing to tell stories with the medium of games as opposed to just, you know, like you say, books, films, TV, whatever else. And Florence is, is like you mentioned, it, it's an amazing example of how to use our understanding of how we play, how, how we interact with the device to further its story and narrative. And yeah, like you say, it, it's on the Switch. I'm sure it's a little bit more expensive than it was on mobile, but that's another option now that people have to actually experience something that's that's very different and that deserves to be seen and talked about. Indeed. So before we wrap up, we thought we'd leave you with a couple of recommendations of games that you might like to play with a loved one this this Valentine's Day. So I heard it discussed, I think it was on the Guilty Feminist podcast, and somebody was talking about the game Overcooked, a game that I've talked about <laughs> in, in this podcast before, and how it is like Monopoly is to Christmas, Overcooked is to relationships. <laughs> Devastating and disastrous. But it's actually the game that I've had the most fun playing with Sammy, who's, who's now my wife. I've I've never had that experience of playing a video game with a with a partner before, and um, so yeah, in, in my experience, Overcooked is it, sure it might be a bit of a challenge, but if you can play Overcooked with somebody and laugh, <laughs> then 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 you should marry them. Good, Minty. I've hinted on this in uh, previous episodes. 
advanced listeners will remember me talking about Silent Hill 2, which I played with a with an old partner in the Halloween episodes when we played it in the blazing sun of the summer and not being able to finish any of it past the apartment because it was just so spooky. But that very same partner, about 10 years ago, I'll give her the Wiimote while I held the nunchuck and we would do a two-player one controller of Twilight Princess. Oh, that's quite fun. She was shit. <laughs> <laughs> but looking, uh, looking more recently and in more fertile grounds, now that I'm um, a man who is quite significantly romantically involved with somebody... One of the games that uh, I love playing in tandem, I suppose, uh, with Mrs. Minty is Tetris 99. Oh, it's a good one. It is a good one, yeah. <laughs> and we are not quite good uns at it. So we take turns and we push each other by not necessarily celebrating each other's achievements, but just being like, oh, you only got to number five in that round. Oh, silver's not quite a gold, is it, Mrs. Minty? <laughs> Mm. It sounds healthy. Chris, what would you recommend? <laughs> uh, I, I thought about a few things. Like, something I, I have played with, with people in the past is, um, like, any sort of narrative adventure game, like Life is Strange or the, or the Telltale series, it's quite nice to play, like, as a pair or even, like, a bigger group. It doesn't just have to be a, a romantic sort of thing. Because they have storylines that are always moving forwards. And, and I think what happens sometimes is if you're thinking about sort of playing, like, a big narrative action game, you might have someone sat next to you either sharing the controller or, or just watching along with what you're doing. And naturally, because you might have difficulty spikes, you might have bits that either you or they are not that good at, it just halts the story. And it, I think it starts to become quite boring for the other person sometimes if they're not the one kind of pushing things forward or, or trying to get through something. Whereas those kind of narrative adventure games, like I said, like the, the Telltale games especially, it's more about making moral choices. So the only pauses in play are essentially when you're having discussion amongst yourselves. And it means that the only hold-ups are, are ones that come from just you deliberating as a pair. So even when you're, you're waiting for the game to move forward, you're still both active in the experience. And I think that's quite a nice way to play games together. But another one that, to be honest, I could have talked about in the episode instead of Double Dragon. Is... <laughs> Heaven forfend that you deprive us of that experience. Christ. <laughs> but yeah, one, one game I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing in tandem, and this was like in the last sort of six months or so, was um, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Oh, wow, yeah. And I mean, if, if you've not played it, like the basic premise, there's, there's two brothers. They find that their father's been taken ill and they journey across a kind of mythical land to find a cure. And whilst not strictly a co-op game, I don't think it was designed necessarily as a co-op game. Each brother is controlled with half of a controller. So each brother has distinct movement interaction using their own analog stick and their own shoulder buttons. So you can play it solo by kind of managing each one of them concurrently. But I opted to play the entire thing, like sharing a pad, just like one hand each, mm -hmm. with, with my girlfriend. And it meant that you almost feel more like you're role-playing the brothers in it and you feel more connected to their movement and interaction because of the physical proximity that you are sat right next to someone. Yeah. And what works really well is you like if there's a bit that's tough, if you're kind of struggling with a section, if you're getting kind of a bit like mangled with your fingers, you, you feel that through the other person. And again, I don't know if that was ever the intention, but it works really, really well. And there's particular parts in the story as well. I don't want to spoil anything from that experience, but there are sections where you don't have the other person with you. And suddenly you feel that absence so much more keenly because the other person like relaxes and, and retreats away from the controller. So you, you feel like a physical sense of, of loss and missing at the same time. 
you know, it's, it's a very good game anyway. It's got fantastic twists that I don't want to spoil, like I said. But I think it's inadvertently a game that's best played alongside another person, even if out of the box that wasn't necessarily the functionality that was intended. Lovely. Well, so that I mean, it does sound like quite the the, the intense experience. Mm. So there we have it. Those are some games about love that we love and that we love to love. If you have loved this episode, then please do tell us what games you love. You can tell us on Facebook. If you search for Our Three Cents, you can let us know what games you love about love and what games you love to love with someone you love this Valentine's Day. You can reach out to us individually as well if you like. If you want to tell us that you love us, please do. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Stomach Punching Brother Killer. You can find me at getting underscore annoyed underscore that underscore your underscore partner underscore at underscore the underscore time underscore keeps underscore pressing a underscore to underscore roll irrespective underscore (laughs) of underscore combat underscore peril (laughs) or my public twitter clement booth and please do join us next time where we shall be venturing into the second season of our three cents as we begin to ascend mount top 50 favorite video games of all time gyro